welcome back to Altered States of Context. Today on the show, Brian and I will talk to Dr. Rosalind Watts. This has been a wonderful conversation, very fun, and um, a little bit about Dr. Watts. She's a clinical psychologist. She was a former clinical lead for the Imperial College Psilocybin Trial, so the largest psilocybin trial that's been done to date. She's the founder of Acer Integration and is a very lovely and interesting person to talk to. There's great YouTube videos out there that she's done, TED Talks, things like that, and we're really happy to have her here today. As always, if you enjoy the show, please pass us along, share us with your friends, colleagues, social media, anywhere that you think you might find people who we can talk to and broaden this conversation as the psychedelic renaissance continues to unfold. Enjoy the interview. Come here. <laughs> That's all right. Sometimes we have uh, sometimes we have chickens in the background, so it's an animal-friendly podcast. <laughs> Good. Cats. Well, just like no, that. no barking dogs. If we can, if we can avoid barking dogs, those those are pretty obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we are here with Dr. Rosalind Watts. Just to, by means of a quick introduction here. Um, I had the opportunity to meet Roz uh, in 2017. Uh, we first met at a Driftless Psychedelic Therapy Symposium. And so I'm a, in Illinois here in the Midwest and saw that there was a International Psychedelic Therapy Symposium just three hours from me. So, you know, I got to together a presentation and went up there and did a presentation on Actin Psychedelics back in 2017. And that's where Roz was. And we had a great time talking about acceptance and commitment therapy and psychedelics. And um, yeah, it was a really, really great weekend for me. Me too. I loved it. Yeah. So it was, uh, um, you know, since that time we've had, uh, you know, it's, it's been fun to watch, um, you know, kind of uh, you continue to, you know, uh, do the work you're doing uh, that we'll spend a good time, amount of time talking today and to kind of integrate insights from acceptance and commitment therapy, you know, into your work, um, among many other things, of course. So um, welcome to the show. It's it's good to see you. Thank you for having me. So I guess um, if we want to just dive in here, let's talk about um, just if you want to just introduce yourself first, just as far as like, how did you get into psychedelic medicine? Just sort of like, a, I guess, you know, origin story type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I trained as a clinical psychologist. I was working in the, the National Health Service in the UK. So um, I had learned about ACT during my training and I'd had a placement or two where I'd been able to use it but just kind of basic level ACT but really liked it it really resonated and then I worked as a clinical psychologist um, in a community mental health team so doing short-term therapy so actually I did use quite a lot of ACT because I found that with the, the the amount of sessions that we were allowed to give people it was one of the yeah, one of the, the the best models for helping people and uh, and something that people really took to, even if you could only see them for a few sessions. So I liked it. And then I went on maternity leave 
And whilst I was uh, having a bit of time off from work, because I'd been in that kind of, yeah, that kind of, um, I guess it felt a bit like a kind of treadmill of seeing a lot of, of patients per day. So I would see, you know, sometimes like six different patients in a day. And by the end of the day, I'd come home and I was just really tired and quite kind of like the last thing I wanted to do in the evening was Google anything to do with therapy or anything like that. I just wanted to kind of, you know, switch off from work in the evenings. So I didn't really, I was interested in psychedelics, but I didn't really kind of explore it until suddenly when I was on maternity leave and I had time, amazing time for the first time in so many years. Um, I mean, decades, really, I had time to just sit around and think, oh, what, what shall I do? And I googled stuff around psychedelic therapy. And found out that there was a a clinical trial just down the road from me looking at psilocybin magic mushrooms as a treatment for depression so I emailed the study team and said I'm a clinical psychologist I'm on maternity leave I've got time um, and I'm desperate for some kind of stimulation and and do you need anything do you need any help and they said we need someone to sit with our uh, tripping participants so I yeah just arrived and pretty much straight away was found myself sitting in a room with somebody with a blindfold on and listening to a playlist and consuming a very high dose of magic mushrooms and I was kind of sit there and support the trip so that's how it began I wonder you know going from you know obviously a practicing clinician six sessions a day and then you're sitting with somebody tripping I mean like these are worlds and worlds apart (laughs) experientially like it's a very different experience tell me what that was you know that just what that was like just sitting with somebody who like with just that much space after kind of coming from Mm -hmm. there's really not space we got an hour let's 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 kind of go it was so wonderful it was so incredibly wonderful that I was so felt so inspired and so I guess kind of um I just at that time looking back on it now I I felt like psychedelic therapy was the answer to everything and I think a lot of that was my joy of being able to sit with somebody for that long because the space as you say the space that you have the time for that bond to develop the time for them the 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 participant the client the patient who explore their own inner world and for you as the as the therapist to sit back and observe and accompany rather than lead was so amazing and I think it's interesting looking back now it's interesting you asked that question because I can reflect that actually so much of what I was so so excited about part of it was the psychedelic drug but so much of it was having the time to be with each person and actually maybe even without the psychedelic drug, but a beautiful room and a nice playlist and another therapist, because it's so wonderful working as a therapist pair. Obviously in individual therapy, it's usually one therapist, one part- one client, but having two therapist guides sitting in a room all day, you get this kind of camaraderie, this sense of equality, the, the sense of three human beings sitting in a room, respecting each other and making space for each other. And it was just so much of it was that rather than the actual psychedelic itself. Wow. That's lovely. Um, was your, 
in that particular study, was your role, like you said, to sit with, was it, so were you like more of a, a therapist or were you more like sitting during the trip? Were you involved in the before and after stuff at that point with that particular study? Or was this more of a, you're accompanying people in that moment, in that experience? I wasn't involved in the before and after bit as well there. So um, it was quite informal. It wasn't formalized as therapy. It was much more, it was a neuroscience trial. So they they needed people to be there to prepare people and to be there and then to support them afterwards. But it wasn't formalized. There was no therapy model. So it was there was no structure for what you'd cover in the preparation session, for example. It was very much kind of winging it and making it up as we went along. So I I it was always two people. So I would work with other people, often psychiatrists, and we would kind of create it as we went along. But yes, it was for the preparation and the session itself and the uh, integration afterwards. Uh, Go ahead, it's Brad. so inspiring to hear what you share about that transition and that kind of falling in love with this model. Mm. I think for a lot of our uh, audience uh, members, there'll be people out there who are considering or new to this and wondering, you know, what might it be like or what does a career in psychedelic assisted therapy look like? And of course, we don't still know a lot of that since um, this is all still very new. Um, but it sounds like for you, uh, you knew right away that this was a really good fit for your own clinical background, your own personality. Yes, definitely. Straight away from the very first session, it was just this feeling of, um, I suppose I had had this growing sense in the years that I'd been working in the um, the National Health Service as a cl trainee clinical psychologist. And then as a clinical psychologist, I'd had this feeling of oh, I'm not sure I'm really able to make much of a difference here. Mm. I'm not really sure if what I'm... Uh, there, there was a lot of a sense of, um, yeah, I guess frustration and hopelessness and a little bit of burnout from feeling like I was trying really hard, but um, I, I just didn't know whether I it was it was that helpful. It felt, it, it was that whole, you know, kind of temporary thing. And often mm. I felt like I was maybe putting my own kind of direction or my own um, kind of framing on a session. And I think that was my lack of experience. I was a new therapist. I hadn't been doing it for very long. So I'm so, I'm sure for both of you and many of the lessons, many, sorry, many of the, the listeners, um, you know people have developed that experience where you really are able to hold that container where you really are allowing someone to explore something themselves even in a few sessions and I've, I've had amazing therapy myself where I'm like wow good therapy when it's done really well we really someone is really enabled to explore the deeper parts of themselves even in a few sessions for me that is the absolute that is there's nothing better than that. That is like really good therapy is wonderful. But myself as a therapist, I was not a really good therapist. I was an okay therapist trying really hard to help, but ending up being too directive and too uh, rule-based and in putting my own structure on, on people, you know, like designing session plans and coming from a place of a lack of, of skill that I was doing it by the book and it, it it wasn't very helpful and maybe as a therapist I would have developed better and I would have become more skilled at, at getting you know at, at opening up a space where people could really explore themselves but I wasn't at that stage there and when I discovered psychedelic therapy I realized that wow this is what it's like to witness someone else 
doing their own work and really mining down deep into themselves and observing that that moment of change where someone has a light bulb thought or moment or something drops and something changes and you know that that is so profound and I guess I'd seen it a little bit in my work as a therapist but suddenly it was like happening again and again with every every person I was sitting with pretty much not all of them but many these feelings of these profound shifts that I had nothing to do with I was just watching and observing Mm. yeah that's so I think one of the things I'm really interested in and curious about is you know um psychedelics I feel like um the use of psychedelics um many years ago and not just many years ago, but like led to me, like I became a better psychotherapist because of my own experience mm-hmm. using psychedelics, not yeah. just because I sat with like, cause I haven't ever actually been a psychedelic therapist, but like, I feel like what you're describing um, and that sort of like rule-based need uh, that I think as an early therapist is, is pretty common. Like I feel like I became a better therapist because of my experience with that space. So there's a lot of discussion now, whether, you know, psychedelic assisted therapists need to have their own psychedelic experience. Um, And that's, you know, that's an important conversation, but also just for being a therapist, I think it's a really useful uh, experience for that. Mm. Completely. Can you, can you say more about what, what it was that you, what that shifted for you? Um, You know, I think it is a, I think it's like a a patience with ambiguity and um, sort of like intense uh, mental experience, intense psychological experience, intense mental experience without a need to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like to kind of like sit and um, wait. So I I think it, it helped me with patience in a clinical aspect in my life too. Although that's even harder. (laughs) Patience is hard. Um, but yeah, clinically, I think it, it helped with that um, a great deal. Um, and just sort of a, a real trust. Like, and, and, and actually, the, I think that even the bigger thing is a real trust that like, hey, this person I'm working with here isn't going to improve their life because of me, right? Like, that's not what's going to happen here. It's not me. It's not my cleverness. It's not my brilliance. It's not me. Like, I can, I should, can and should, you know, uh, think hard and be well-trained and do my best. But I had like, this has to come from inside of them. And so if I don't give that the room it needs to develop. Um, and so I think that sense of where that sort of healing or change or insight comes from, it comes from somewhere as a therapist, not me. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I completely, completely agree with all of those things. Yeah totally resonate so i'd love to see that over time just like uh, uh psychedelics as training for therapists whether it's a psychedelic therapist mm-hmm. or just a, a therapist you know in, in the future in which mm-hmm. um you know in which we have um, a more sane sort of legal regime and can start to sort of like uh use things with use these with a lot of intention um but for kind of creative purposes mm. Yeah, and, and and like you said, there's something around. I think um, all the insights that can come, but also there's something about how challenging they can be as well. So I've had some really, really challenging psychedelic experiences, and 
they've they've been the things that have given me the most insight to real serious kind of mental suffering because I haven't suffered from depression myself and I've worked with a lot of people with depression and there's a certain amount of understanding that comes from hearing people talk about it and obviously it's different for everybody but there's a certain amount of understanding of that terrain that comes but there's something about having experienced myself of like an absolute like absence of any kind of joy in the world an absolute like introduction to a terrain of just dark cold uh desolation and and also states of um kind of horror and fear and disordered kind of disordered confusion and all those things that I've actually they've obviously been hard to go through but afterwards really felt like grateful for that little bit of an insight and a real new empathy that comes from people that have to deal with that every day and that was of course what psychedelics initially introduced for they were psychotomimetic it was like psychiatrists were sent them so that they could experience what it was like to to have a psychotic episode and obviously like you know that was well there was a lot of ways that they yeah there's a lot of very unethical practice back then but and I certainly wouldn't recommend people trying psychedelics in order to like experience psychosis themselves but for me personally that has been one of the things that this almost like the the insight but also a certain amount of trust as well like you say Nathan that like um trust in processes unfolding too so something around it's that you can be in a really extreme space you can be in a really panicky place but if you're given the space and the care and the calm and someone to hold your hand actually you can you can really work your way through those places and then reflecting on the kind of conditions that in our mainstream mental health services we provide for people going through states of extreme distress or confusion or disordered thinking. We often put them in settings that are so like bright lights, lots of noise, lots of stress, lots of suspicion and anxiety, and and just thinking like, wow, what if we could, um, what if we could make our psychiatric services and kind of crisis services a little bit more psychedelic treatment rooms with beautiful music and pictures of trees and nice soft glowing lights and that kind of thing yeah just calm right calm it seems like that 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 word seems like pretty um obvious but yeah if you go to the places you're describing it is like the environment is the opposite of calm yeah yeah one one of the things that's coming up for me as you're sharing this is in my own psychedelic experiences and my mindfulness practice and why I like ACT as a therapy model so much, all of them together, there's sort of this consistent message that I keep getting, which is to open up to pain, is to don't turn away from my own suffering. And I need help with that because, you know, even as a therapist, it's just like I we reflexively push down our our stuff and and run from our feelings and uh, uh, you know for for me I, I agree with you being in some of those darker psych, psychedelic experiences have taught me a lot and as a as a therapist it, it also makes me feel confident when I ask clients to go into painful spots in our sessions mm. because I know that I'm you know, willing, uh, to do that, that work myself. And I've been there. So it, it feels like what I'm asking clients to do is no different than the work that I might do on my own. Mm. 
yeah 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 for sure and it's um yeah there's something there's something really really nice in that and us or maybe moving into a bit of a phase where I feel like maybe there's a bit of a shift happening in some places where therapists are acknowledging I think before certainly when I kind of started training I remember feeling a bit like you know um well because clinical psychologists don't have to have therapy as part of their training some psychotherapists do and I remember training and feeling a bit like oh you know when I kind of started it, it was like, I am a very sorted person. Thank you very much. I'm a professional <laughs> that will be listening to your problems and giving you some sage advice. And, and just the whole process of realizing that my goodness me, like being able to acknowledge the therapists have just as many difficulties, if not more <laughs> sometimes than the, the people that sit in our, in our rooms and that, um, there is something, it, it's a two-way street, you know, it's it's a it's a two-way street and that we learn so much from the people that we work with and that there are conne- interconnections with the people that we work with and, you know, the inner healing intelligence of the person in the journey seat and the inner healing intelligence of the person sitting in the guide seat in whatever format or whatever kind of setting, there's an interlinking and interweaving and so being able to be a bit more open to the fact that we also suffer and that we can feel our pain and that our ability to feel our pain might actually in some ways um, have an influence on somebody else's ability to, to face their pain and let go of that resistance too, um, I think is, is an important step. And we can let go of this idea that the therapist is in any way more sorted or together than, than the client. Yeah, well said. Yeah, and, and so I, I'd love to, to hear you talk a little bit more about um, your experiences with the ACT model in, in this work. Um, I know Nate and I are, are huge fans of yours and, and what you've done in sort of promoting and integrating ACT with psychedelic-assisted therapy. And, you know, um, I joke with Nate, like, we're very biased. We love ACT. So for us, it's like, why isn't ACT everywhere? You know, uh, of course, I admit that's a, a personal bias, but I always love to hear, like, what resonates with you about the model and and how do you see it being a good fit? I, I know that's probably a huge question and there's many ways to answer it, but would love to get into that kind of uh, conversation with you around that. Yes, really happy to. And actually really nice to talk about it with you. Um, yeah, I, I'm also a big, big fan of it and not nearly as experienced in it as, as you both and many of the listeners, but I... I just really, I really love the Hexaflex. I really, and it's probably like, I'm not sure, maybe ACT has moved on a lot. I'm probably talking about something that everyone sees as very passe and like, oh, that old thing that was from, you know, that was from ancient history, but. No, that's still part of it, that the Hexaflex is still the century. Yeah. Good, good. Because I I love it. I, I, I use it myself. I it's such an easy image. I have the image in my head. And sometimes when I'm, you know, a bit stuck in a situation, I just kind of like go around the six points and think, you know, which, which one to use here. And there's always one of like, there's always a couple that will go, ah, okay. And it gives you, it opens up a new way forward when you feel a bit stuck. So I'm really grateful to that beautiful little diagram and, and what it opens up. And actually it was that, it was the Hexaflex that, um, 
that was my that was where the the overlap between what I was seeing in psychedelic therapy and and act happened because I did some qualitative research after that very first study I was saying about where I was a a kind of um trip sitter guide um I I did a it was kind of volunteer study actually I was still um on my maternity leave and so not working in an official capacity but I did a kind of voluntary research study just because I was so fascinated to know we we had these quantitative results coming in of these 20 people with treatment resistant depression having psilocybin they all had a high dose we got the results come in the quantitative stuff the questionnaires the brain scans and I was just desperate to know what the what the participants said and there was no there was no qualitative research that had been um that was part of the the study so I did a qualitative study asking all of those 20 participants six months after their psilocybin experience what had been interesting or useful or important about the experience and came away with these two themes that the the two kind of mechanisms that they described the first was that they went from before with their depression feeling that they avoided difficult feelings numbing distracting shutting down in some way and that with the psilocybin experience and after it they were able to really accept and face and and it was you know willingness to feel on a huge huge scale and then the second theme was that people described going from um being very disconnected from themselves from other people and from the world around them to connected and that was very much around values so opening up to purpose and values and doing things in the world it's the kind of values committed action side of it and and also the the observer self having a new seeing the self in a new way so so I when I was doing this research the the, the hexaflex just kept kind of bashing me around the head with how it much it was overlapping and then I did some work with Jason Luoma who is obviously a absolute you know amazing person to work with and he's such a such an incredible thinker and such a wonderful wonderful co-author as well and he was I mean it was at a time when I was so busy with the with the second clinical trial that I was just so I remember kind of just being so slammed and like I can't do it Jason I don't have time and he was like no come on we're going to do this it's important because we were we were both we'd been talking about the psychological flexibility model and how it was overlapping and so he helped me write this other paper where we looked at yeah we looked at the the hexaflex processes and and the research I'd been doing and we kind of made these parallels and essentially what it came up with was that um so that the, there was a kind of triad for acceptance and a triad for connection so the the triad for acceptance was contact with the present moment acceptance willingness to feel and cognitive diffusion and then there was this connecting connection triad which was values committed action and self as context and the way and I kind of I I um, rotated the psychological flexibility hexaflex diagram so that you had acceptance contact with the present moment cognitive diffusion at the bottom and then the, the the other one at the top and it became a diagram of a pearl dive 
which is kind of difficult to explain how that became that. But it's when I rotated it, it kind of looked a bit like the bottom triad, which I'd colored blue for the acceptance and the top triad I'd colored pink. It looked like a blue sea with a pink sky. Hmm. And then I thought about the process that people were going through in the psilocybin experience, which was they were kind of diffusing from their thoughts, taking the psilocybin, diving down into the sea of present moment focus, feeling their body, willingness to feel, going into the pain. And then they were kind of swimming up from that blue blue sea of the acceptance triad into the pink sky of the connection triad, which was, ah, oh, I see myself in a different way. I see my, my larger self, the bigger me, observer self, connecting to the values, connecting to committed action. So the hexaflex diagram became a diagram of a blue sea, a pink sky, and this journey of a pearl dive in a psychedelic experience. That's super cool. So I, yeah, I'm very familiar with your metaphor and, and exercise that you've um, used in, in the studies based on that. Uh, and so it's really cool to hear the art. I didn't know that that was the origin of how you came up with that, that metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. It was, um, I can't remember exactly kind of like when the, the, the penny first dropped, but like, yes, it was, um, yeah, it was the, the hexaflex was, was where it came from. So a lot of that, you know, it sounds like, so when we think about this, this, this connection and the, um, I mean, that's a big word. Um, and you know, it just seems like this thing, um, that I would imagine you might agree if it, correct me, if not, that sort of like this inherently reinforcing human thing, like, like connection, feeling connected. It's just this inherently reinforcing, um, sense, um, and the moving into the, it seems like there's all these different ways, all these different stuck points that we, you know, we describe along the hexaflex in lots of different ways um, that, that just keep us from being able to sort of like emerge from those depths into, into connection. And part of, it sounds like, um, you know, the way, you know, you conceive that model is like going into down into those and kind of working with being with, those stuck places moving into them instead of out of them mm. but and then the the sort of the almost the reward for that is the ability to actually mm. genuinely make connections with people with uh, nature with um your, your your animals like whatever it is that you're um so frozen from or blocked from connecting with that you know, people who might be depressed or or anything it's just so cut off is that mm. a fair sort of summary or, or kind of like description yeah Yes, completely. It's it's the kind of um it's the feeling of being broken open that when you're when you're closed and you're like guarding and resisting pain, you're just a closed, closed shell, and then the crack, and then there's the resistance, the resistance, and then there's that sudden kind of beautiful, almost kind of pleasurable surrender to the agony, which is like it's that real feeling of like oh and with the psychedelic experience it's just kind of you know you try and resist it for a bit and it's like oh god it's, it's happening and then you just have to let it happen because you well, you can resist it but it's you know it's much easier not to and then yeah the surrender to it and the feeling of just the energy that comes as you say and, and the energy is one of like when you're not trying so I mean it, it is so much in line with the principles of act when you're when you're not trying to spend all your time preventing yourself from feeling it 
there's suddenly that swirl of energy and everything just like, yeah. And, 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 the, and the connection just comes because it's the connection to yourself that just comes because you can feel, you can feel yourself again because you're not trying so hard to not feel it. I wonder, um, so we have that sort of arc of like sinking down into the depths and then emerging into this pink sky. And like, I wonder if you could say a bit about challenging experiences or what happens, like if someone's cracked open, but then in their experience, they're lost or overwhelmed or, you know, some of these challenging experiences that we know happen in in lots of different contexts. Um, that is an aspect of, of this whole thing is that some, it doesn't always just flow uh, right, like mm. sinking beneath and, and emerging like that, yeah. that there are various ways that people get stuck or lost or confused. And I wonder if you could say a bit about your experience with that and what you've, what you've seen with that. Yeah, it's such an important point and it doesn't get, it doesn't get discussed nearly enough. And I think, you know, yeah, people, there are murky, murky depths down there. And in a way, the kind of Western medical framework is just one way of, of understanding these experiences and is, is extremely limited in a way, all the lenses have their limitations, but um, yeah, there were many times in the second study where where I just was with more people and saw more difficult experiences, challenging experiences, and just hor- horror, horror experiences as well, and very confusing experiences. And there were many times I thought, oh, I really, really wish that we had a really experienced mushroom healer sitting with us. I really wish we had someone from the Mazatec tradition who'd sat with loads and loads and loads of people and could say, ah, yes, you know, I've seen this before. Because there were just some things that happened where people did get really stuck and I just had no idea at all what what was happening. And I really think there are times when you need to be quite directive because I always used to think, oh, you know, you just, you know, whatever's happening, you just make space and the person's own inner healing intelligence will work through it. But I think there were times when, when people need more than that, you know, when, when actually I think in time as we evolve more and we will hopefully have teams in the future that are much more kind of multi-perspective where people from different traditions will be working together. And I think sometimes people do need something more directive. And the only thing that we had to pull people through so that they could get that kind of, you know, they were down in the, the, the murky depths. The only thing to pull people through that we had sometimes was, I guess just that trust and belief that no matter how painful it was, even if it was confusing, they didn't understand and it was just really hard and there was no natural resolution. Like they didn't have the breakthrough. They didn't arise up to this, the surface of the sea and see everything differently. Even when they did get stuck, there was something about being a human being in a horrendous stuck state that felt terribly frightening and having another human being, two human beings, witnessing it, holding your hand if you wanted it, and providing you with hours and hours and hours of unconditional positive regard and support. Because that in itself, I, I, I rested on the belief, and I saw it happen, that that in itself, even if we couldn't offer any kind of spiritual support or whatever it might be that might have helped them, we couldn't give those things. But what we could give was the absolute dedication to the empathy of, of, of seeing their suffering and 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 being being privy to it they'd shown us that i mean you don't normally show your therapist those real dark nights of the soul those happen in your own time and then you tell your therapist about it or your you know loved ones 
if you if you if you have the privilege of people you can tell but they're incredibly lonely moments those those crises and there was something about the the beauty of a container where we were saying if you have a if you have many many hours of the deepest suffering you've ever known we are still going to be here and we're going to be there for the long haul and you know we're going to be there for the weeks and months afterwards that in a way that was the only silver lining that i could find in some situations you know those um like we talked about those really 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 challenging uh you know experiences um you know that you described and 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 that i've um talked about before and you know just to imagine like that's 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 a that is a heck of a place to get stuck right like there's a heck of a place to get stuck <sighs> oh just i mean there yeah there there are kind of no words <laughs> to, to describe how how terrifying and horrifying and lonely it can feel and it feels like it it can it can feel like it goes on forever because time takes on a different quality so it can yeah. feel like it's lasting literally like decades yeah which is one of the yeah. hardest you know in from inside the experience that's one of the absolutely the hardest aspects of it is it's not like okay well if i wait this out it'll be fine like that 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 i that concept uh you know is kind of gone um and yeah, so it's, so it's, um, you know, thinking about getting, um, you know, these challenging experiences too. I, I, I just think they deserve attention. So I'm kind of wanting to, to, to stay with it a little yes. bit. Um, yeah, because we also can't look at those outside of context too. Cause we talk about like, okay, so these are like really horrible, hell of a place to get stuck. Absolutely. You know, and, um, mm. Oftentimes, you know, you're, you're, you're in, in these cases, I imagine you're talking about a person who's coming in after perhaps decades of, of tremendous suffering over time, yeah. right? So you can't like this particular um, experience, I think has to be put in context of that, right? Um, mm. That um, this is bad and, and we need to, to, to get better at learning to work with these um, and mm. learning as much as we can about them. But, you know, it's also true that, um, uh, you know, the suffering that has led up to experiences like that are often like some of the people who are, you know, seeking relief, um, you know, have often been, um, have often been in very dark places for a very long time. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think maybe it's partly one of the things about it is um, the, the obligation to, make sure that we prepare people really, really well for there's such a media kind of sugarcoating and hype about all of this. And there's such a kind of excitement about the potential of these as these kind of treatments that reset your brain and um, just suddenly make you feel, you know, like there's so much positive narrative out there. And I think that makes it even harder when people do have, as you say, they've come in from many years of feeling pretty terrible. They, they come in with all the hope that this is going to change their mind, as the famous book says. And then if they have a really horrifying experience and then it doesn't help them afterwards. I mean, sometimes the horrifying ones, they still have the benefit afterwards, but sometimes they don't. And if they don't, then at, at least if, if we've been really honest at the beginning and said, you know, there it can be, it, sometimes it's really unhelpful. Sometimes it makes people worse. Sometimes it makes people have, it, you know, it's really disruptive sometimes. Sometimes it helps. If When it helps, it usually doesn't help for that long. And that doesn't mean you've done it wrong. It's just that, you know, that's what we're finding. 
and that you know there is a kind of afterglow with people and it usually lasts for I don't know three weeks a month something like that and that that afterglow is a wonderful wonderful window of opportunity for change and they can open up to things and you know bringing in some really good therapy and integration they can make really profound changes in their lives but just being really careful with the messaging and staying really close to the the full humble confused picture rather than selling this shiny dream which makes people feel that they've failed yeah it's so important and definitely not a message that gets through very often um yeah, I was curious to ask you about, I know you're passionate about integration and you, you, you know, this is some of the work that you've been doing uh, and especially more recently with your ACER model, right? Um, I'm wondering if you could talk about the importance of integration or, or how you see that fitting in because even that part of it often gets lost in the narrative. People just think that, you know, psychedelics is just the psychedelic and they, they, you know, I don't see that in the media coverage as much that, you know, whether or not it's with a therapist or a spiritual community or that integration without integration, really, um, there's a much less uh, probability of meaningful lasting change. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, I think and, and integration is something that's kind of been thinking more and more about, you know, what what is integration? What could integration be? And thinking about it as, um, so one of the definitions of integration is all the different parts come together in, a, in an integrated whole. It's bringing all the different parts together. And I think that um, it's, it's something to go alongside therapy. So I think in the past, people have seen integration as kind of the few sessions that you have after your psychedelic experience to go through what your psychedelic experience was about. And yes, we, we do need that. That's like the kind of like, um, that's kind of like the post-session uh, unpacking. But in this idea of like bringing all the parts together, that's, there are so many different parts. There's, there's the kind of, there's what the psychedelic experience brings up. There's what we're learning about ourselves all the time in our lives. And there's what, when you kind of do, in a way become when you do kind of break open to a life where you're exploring the deeper levels of yourself that integration process really is an ongoing thing because you know you're, it's like a breadcrumb trail you're in a constant kind of uh, little clues come in little messages significance intuition when you follow this path whether it's through psychedelics or through meditation or mindfulness or or, or spiritual practice whatever it is there's more and more people coming to this kind of path of 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 just self-discovery that's ongoing and so it's not a kind of you do it once and then you're done it's this constant peeling back of the onion going deeper it's this spiral process so I think for me integration it's it's a lifelong process Mm -hmm. um and it's something that I think we should do in community as well just because it's so much nicer to do it in community and it's so much more powerful and it's more grounded and also we have a we know we do have a kind of mental health crisis we have a therapy crisis we don't have enough therapists I don't know what it's like in the states but in the UK especially after COVID there's just so many people desperately desperately needing support and help in crisis in stuckness and our ability to respond is you know we've got like a, a total bottleneck so I think community of people doing ongoing integration with a framework that people are following almost a bit more like AA, like a 12 step program where it's community 
Um, it's peer, crucially, it's peer support of other people that have been through similar experiences. For me, that is the, that's, that's where I see the future, really. Peer support community. Oh, oh boy. I'd love to hear that. That's um, exactly, um, I mean, I think that's pretty exactly what has been on my mind. We've been, um, in, in Illinois, uh, where I am, I've been working with some people and we're, um, we have a legislator we're working with and we're trying to sort of work on a, a, a law for a decriminalization and what, you know, and, and thinking about that and therapy and all the issues involved, you, re you really have to think about like, look, we don't have a system in the United States of America, and I'm sure, you know, there as well, that is, we don't have a system to support human beings, actually. <laughs> You know, like it just doesn't work. Like, you know, like it, it's, um, uh, you know, our mental health system is, is, you know, is basically just putting out fires as they come up, but we don't have, you know, I, you know, and so thinking about, well, what could this possibly look like? You know, if you have a model where you have, um, you know, therapists and they're administrating uh, therapy to a participant and that's it, right? Like that's expensive and time limited and just doesn't provide the the you know the the deep and lifetime support needed and and really it's community and it, it's creating communities and creating the context for communities to you know support each other um and uh yeah i just i couldn't agree more and i think yes. we need to think very creatively right like this psychedelics pose a real challenge to the way we view psychological suffering to the fields of psychiatry and psychology i think because we have to view differently what people need and what people need in the modern context and we have to adapt and it because what we're doing is not working mm, completely completely yeah and in a way there is there is something really um there's something really lovely about that i suppose in the whole i'm thinking about the hexaplex again and thinking about the like diving down into the waters and coming up to the pink sky and how you know diving down into that reality that truth that we've actually created in the west we've actually created systems that do not support we do not support ourselves and each other we do not have systems for all the wealth and for all the everything and all the kind of affluence and all the comfort in many ways and convenience that we've established we have not been you know we've been able to provide 25 different kinds of cereal or 25 different kinds of water from all over the world to have bottled water from all over the world on our shelves 15 varieties but we have not managed to create the very very basic conditions where human beings can flourish and feel that they belong and thrive at all mm -hmm. so that's a really sad truth to dive into but coming up into the the you know the the connection to to values and purpose it's like okay well great now we get to build it and it's going to be mm -hmm. so lovely when we do because it's not just for for kind of periods of time in our lives when we're suffering with particular crises or you know mental health difficulties but just the way we live in these very atomized fragmented societies where we're all we've all got our we're all consuming resources separately we're all using our time separately because we're all doing all the kind of domestic things that we all do. And there's something for me about coming back into community, which is much bigger than just peers. I mean, that's where we're starting, you know, it's like peer support at first, but just coming back again into community in a much deeper way, much, much more significant way. It just feels to me where we need for that sense of connection and belonging and home. And, you know, we've lost our villages. We've lost our, We've lost our clusters together of our local communities. So 
I think it's all part of discovering that way, which ultimately is going to come out of pain and suffering and the destruction of the old systems. But I think we're going to be a lot happier when we're living that way. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of funny to me and not, um, I think it's important. I'm, I'm not, it's like, um, like I think the randomized control trials are important and looking, it's just, it's been interesting to see over the last few years. Like it's, I mean, I think in, because of the way um, that, that mental health has been understood, it's like, okay, we're going to give this person a drug and it's going to make them better somehow. Right. And it's like, well, okay. Like maybe, but like, it's not like that. <laughs> it's not like that. It's like this, you know, it, it, an ability to visualize and see something different. But then like you just said, like integration is a lifelong thing. Integration of psychedelics into our culture is a process, yeah. right? It isn't just like, hey, it's going to be a medicine now. It's like, you know, it's a process of discovering. Actually, we have to visualize and discover how do we support humans better. And then the integration is yes. we have to create it. We got to make it. We got to make it. It doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's in our everyday life. It's like the integration of it is because the, the communities that have been holding these medicine, plant medicine traditions for a long time, it's just in the community. It's just in the container. It's the integration is there with the whole community like every day. It's, it's the life. And so for us trying to, I always think of the analogy of like trying to plant seeds in toxic soil, like the soil of the West has become depleted, overextracted, chemically treated, you know, like just pumping, pumping artificial fertilizers, pesticides into this depleted soil that we've extracted from for so long. And, you know, simply the seeds don't grow. Mm -hmm. And it's like the, the seeds of the psychedelic kind of uh, renaissance that we want, you know, they're, they're not going to grow healthily in this toxic soil. Mm. But we can create the the nurture in the soil. We can put the, the care back in um, and then then those seeds can take hold safely. But otherwise... Otherwise, it just all falls flat. You know, it doesn't, if we just try and incorporate psychedelics into the existing system, it will either be un- dangerous or it will just be ineffective. We, we need a new, we need to change the soil that this is being seeded in. Mm-hmm. Psychedelics are medicine for the system. Every bit as much as they're medicine yeah. for, for, for the so-called participants. Completely. And in a way... I suppose the two things happen at the same time and it's that kind of uh, iterative process of the more and more people that have these experiences and realize like, oh, okay, there's another way. And then the more and more people set up new systems and hopefully it will work in that iterative way that gradually, gradually we, yeah, things things start to shift and change. Mm. And I think a lot yeah. of it is in in finding the others because the peer support networks and all those things, it's people all over the world having these experiences and, you know, the kind of the cliche is like, you know, waking up. But if people are opening up, I think it's opening up really, isn't it? Opening up to this and, be, you know, being cracked open and discovering, you know, being able to sit with our own vulnerability more and needing each other more and needing to help others more. And then, then that is where we get that kind of system change from from the empowered, galvanized, growing communities of people that are connected together. Because I don't think the change is necessarily gonna so much come from the top. I mean, I think psychedelics becoming licensed medical treatments by pharma companies 
you know, I can see a real role for that in the whole picture. But also, um, I think for, for the real for the real kind of system change, it will be communities getting legal access to this and organizing communities together where it's real by communities for communities, local healing practices, self-managed, self-organized rather than, you know, kind of expensive clinics offering a, a very expensive, very medicalized treatment. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, the um, mm. bottom up, your, the, the point about bottom up, you know, and mm. I think just to yeah. get, I mean, just be aware sort of in this meta space. So I'm just going there. Like we live in a society that's so top down at this point that it's inhuman. Right. I think that's a huge part of like, like we just don't have this sort of sense of autonomy and meaning in our, in our lives on a, on a very, like we can't handle the scale. Like the, the, the world that we're in now is yeah. too big. It's scaled too much. And, um, and to be able to directly um, touch and feel and integrate and be in just our human bodies, our human scale here and now, like in our communities um, and building systems and ways of being that work from the bottom up, as opposed to this, you know, top down where you know everything's expected to work from top down, like we're going to figure out these and again, I, 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 I'm with you. I don't think that, that um, I, I don't think that uh, medicalization is inherently bad. Right. But I do, I, I would, if I would think that that would be the only way I would think that that's bad, but like mm-hmm. as a, as an option, I think it's, I think it can be very useful, but it is, it's an extremely mm-hmm. top down sort of thing. Like I think it can relieve suffering, but I don't think it offers a solution if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But this bottom up, yeah. I just wanted to, to echo this, this sort of bottom up description you're having is, is, is I think, um, something that the world badly needs right now because we just can't deal with the scale of the world around us i think and the and the polarization is is such a you know there's such a polarization that just splits like feels like the kind of the we the we the great big global we um it, you know we are so split so split in so many different ways so fractured that um for that, we are going to have to come together. And in some ways, well, I always used to have a lot of hope that psychedelics would be something that would bring us together because it was something that we could kind of all get behind no matter what your politics were. It appeals to people on the left and the right. It appeals to people that are suffering from mental health difficulties, equally people that want to explore their creativity. It's a real unifier that, um, you know, for so many people, it's something that we can all kind of get behind. But I'm not sure looking at the way the psychedelic field is developing, I see the same fractures and splits and polarization that we see everywhere else. So I, yeah, I'm not quite sure what the answer is there. It's not easy, whatever it yeah, is. It's... And it's not easy. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know we're getting to the uh, end of our time here and I wanted to uh, make sure that I asked you about Acer integration. I know this is something that you just recently launched. Um, so, would you mind um, just describing what Acer integration is and uh, telling telling us how we might find out more information about it? Yeah, no, very happy to. Thank you for asking. It's um, so I suppose yeah, it's the kind of culmination of all all the different models that came before it, and it's um, it stands for Accept, Connect, Embody, Restore. And the Accept, Connect, Embody was the the stuff that came previously. That was the kind of 
that based on the psychedelic journey or any journey of like diving deep into the waters of the murky stuff and then coming up into the connection and the meaning and the values and the fact that it took place in the body. So the, the accept, the dive down, the connect, the come up, the E, that all happens in the body um, because psychedelics are obviously, a, it's a process where it very viscerally happens in your body. And then I added the R to make ASA, which ASA is this integration community. It's a 12-month process that we follow together in community. It's mainly online, but with in-person elements. So the R stands for restore, and it's about restoring yourself to the rhythms and patterns of nature. So I think psychedelics often show us these kind of insights around like the patterning of nature, interconnectedness, interconnectedness of all things. That's a very common insight to have after a psychedelic experience or during. And so when I talk about restoring to the rhythms and patterns of nature, interconnectedness is one of those patterns. And for me, that's the, that's the community. It's joining with other people and both in our local communities and with a kind of tribe of people with similar purposes online. And then the rhythms of nature, that is about going slowly because nature is this kind of, the way nature grows, it's this very slow process of becoming and patient, patient growth rather than, you know, having to do things at a a particular rate. And it's also cyclical. So nature grows, you know, has these summers and winters and it go through these processes of death and rebirth and decay and regeneration. And it's just realizing that people we so often in our culture have this expectation that we're going to be on constant summer, doing well, being happy, being productive, and realizing that actually, you know, like the trees lose their leaves in the wintertime. And that's a really important time because they're doing their root work underground. They're, they're, they're finding new sources of nourishment for the next growing season. And it's allowing ourselves to have winters as well as, as summers. So it's, it's a community of people following a, a structure called the 12 trees and all of this whole process is all about kind of coming into this slowness, accepting of uh, that the we're cyclical creatures, we have inner seasons, and the way we're interconnected and joining with each other in this process. Um, and it, the way it works is every month there's a different tree that we focus on, and each tree uh, comes from. It was inspired by the Celtic tree calendar, where there's a different tree with a different lesson for every month. But the way I've I've adapted it, and it's very much in line with the the hexaflex. So each tree, it's it's taking us into psychological flexibility in various different ways. And essentially, we use things like uh, meditation, music meditation, breath work, sharing circles, all sorts of different things in the community to together explore each different tree. And at the end of the twelve months, the idea is that we've embodied and incorporated twelve trees that we can follow for the rest of our lives just because each tree teaches us or opens us up to a particular lesson that we reflect on together. If that makes a sense. Whole, it's kind of difficult to explain it. Because, yeah. A whole, it's quite a, whole grove, a whole grove of trees, it sounds like at the end. A whole grove of trees. Yeah. It's a, basically a forest of, of interconnected trees. <laughs> I love the, t- the tie-in yeah, to nature I've, as well. There's so much to, to learn mm. by observing and to, to be in. Um, yeah. Mm. We're going to plant 3,000 trees on our farm next week. 3,000 on our farm. So Wow. Yeah. <gasps> what kind of trees? That's pretty exciting. All kinds of trees. Uh, three different oh. types are going to be rows in a windrow. Some uh, set of conifer trees, 
um, a row of like shrubby, brushy trees, uh, you know, elderberries, different berries, things like that. And then hardwoods. Oh, oh wow. I have, I'm so jealous of that. I can't think of anything more wonderful. How beautiful. What's the weather like for you now? Is it kind of rainy and cold? No, it's uh, it went crazy this week. We're 90 degrees and humid. It went from winter to summer wow. in a week. Oh, wow. Okay, nice. Well, that's going to be fun for you. Will you put, yes. how will you do it? Because I have this kind of dream about tree planting festivals where we have music playing and huge groups of volunteers planting the trees, but also dancing at the same time. Nothing so uh, <laughs> nothing so uh, romantic as that. It'll be uh, mechanically yeah. done, actually. We have a contractor that will do it, so they're going to have a, a, a on their tractor, they'll have a, uh, they'll rip a um, slit in the earth, and there'll be somebody sitting on the back of the tractor who's going to, you know, plop the saplings in. So mm. um, a pretty, pretty industrial process, but, you know, it's going to be eight and a half acres. So, um, yeah, it's quite a undertaking it i think be. you could add in some dancing around that nate <laughs> <laughs> a little little uh, uh ceremony or ritual to that sounds yeah. in order yeah. i think you're right i think you're right we can have a bonfire with some of the the older uh, trees that are down and yeah. um celebrate the the rebirth <laughs> oh that's a good idea yes <laughs> Yes. Well, the elder that you described, um, elder trees, and they're actually in the twelve trees. They're our tree for December. Um, mm. So yeah, they're they're the trees of understanding our ancestral patterning and elderhood and becoming the elders we want to be, where we can enhance the the positives of our family lines that we've inherited and work on the kind of more unhelpful patterns that we might have inherited and evolve into healthy elders. So yeah, I. I think you should do a little dance around one of your elder trees in honor of the Celtic tree calendar. <laughs> Lovely. And we can, um, we can, I'll, uh, we can link um, to that, you know, you know, send me a link. We'll put it in the show notes of, so people can look up the Acer model. And I'm interested I, in, in learning about all of the different trees um, uh, myself. Yeah. So I'll be, I'll be yes. looking into that because tree, trees are just so wonderful. You know, there's just so, so much ris- richness and I appreciate the, all the metaphors with trees and roots and, and you were talking about the soil a bit ago. Mm-hmm. And as you know, you know, being in central Illinois on, on the farm here, it's like, those are rich, rich metaphors that are, um, yeah. there's so, so much to them. Mm, yes, they are. They get deeper and deeper, the metaphors. And I particularly like the, the mycelial connections, how all the trees share resources and look after each other through the mycelium. It, that feels pretty mm-hmm. poignant too. Yes. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today, Roz. Really appreciate you coming on our show and sharing your experience and wisdom. Uh, We have great respect for you as a leader in the psychedelic community. And I really appreciate, you know, the balance in which you talk about psychedelic work and the humility that you bring to uh, speaking about these topics and sharing your own experience. I think uh, that that is much needed in this space. So really enjoyed our time together today. Me too. Thank you. It's been. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's been. It's been quite a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.